0: John chapter 17 this morning, go ahead and turn your Bibles there, John chapter 17, we'll be reading our text throughout the message, so we're not going to start off by reading that, but I just want you to get there and find your place, John chapter 17. We're going to talk about several things today, but I want to start off by saying that my heart is troubled for our nation right now, and uh, some of the things that are going on um, I'm going to tell you the devil's having a time right now, and he has figured out a way to get people's heads turned. He's figured out a way to uh, to bring division among not only the people of our great nation, but also uh, the people of God's kingdom. And I have seen just uh, cut after cut between even Christians uh, towards one another over some of the things that are going on, not only this past week, but over the last year or so. Uh, And we'll talk about more of these things a little bit later. We are going to look at John chapter 17. But as I was studying these verses, um, I just felt led to say and and try to address some of the things that are going on in our nation. So at the end of this message, I will uh, just set apart some time to do that. I want us to go ahead and look at what Jesus said. We don't want to take anything out of context or make it say something that it doesn't. Uh, But then I do want to make some statements there towards the end. So I hope that you'll stick with us and, and pay attention. But we're in John chapter 17. Now, before we get to our verses here... I want to kind of give some background to what's going on. Uh, of course, we've been studying all the way through the book of John, and we've studied on up through chapter 16. Uh, and sometime between the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples and, uh, and then his arrest in the garden, sometime between there, uh, Jesus paused to say a prayer. Uh, he knew that the cross was drawing closer, and he knew that his departure was was at hand and so he stopped to pray and we're going to read that prayer today that's what John chapter 17 is is that prayer uh, that he made to the father uh, on his behalf on behalf of uh, of his disciples and then on all who would believe now that prayer has been recorded and preserved through the writings of John so we have a verbatim account of uh, Jesus prayer that day and so we've got a lot of talk a lot to talk about in this message I want to just go ahead and jump right in We're going to look at three things that Jesus prayed for that day. Before we get to those, though, I want to pause, let's pray, and ask God's blessings and leadership upon the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for Christ. And God, uh, though our hearts are troubled with the situations that are going on around our nation, uh, Lord, we we want to come and bring our worship to you. We want to lay these burdens before you today today. Uh, because you are the only one who can bring peace and healing uh, to the issues that are at hand. God, we pray that as we look through your word today, that you will address anything in our lives or in our hearts uh, that you see fit, and help us to be receptive uh, to any way that you may lead us today. We're so thankful for your word, and we're thankful for this recorded prayer of Jesus that we have to study. I pray that you'll help to make it clear to each and every one of us, and uh, encourage and direct and lead our hearts today. As a result, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. We're gonna look at three things that Jesus prayed for throughout this message. And the first thing that we see uh, are in verses one through five, we see that Jesus prayed for his glory. He prayed for his glory. Now, Jesus began this prayer with an acknowledgement that a certain hour had come. And if you look there with me in verse in, in verse one of chapter 17, it says, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. He says, the hour is come. Now, if you've gone through this study of John with us, then you know that John has referenced this hour all through the gospel. And I have uh, printed out here, I have several of those instances. And uh, you can either turn and just listen to these verses as I read through them. But in John chapter 2 and verse 4, this is when Jesus spoke to his mother. He said, woman, what have I to do with thee? By the way, don't say woman to your mother. He was Jesus. (laughs) But he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? He said, my hour is not yet come. John chapter 7, verse 30, it says, they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. And John 8, 20, it says, These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid a hands on him, for his hour is not yet come. John chapter 12 and verse 23, it says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come, that the Son of Man should be glorified. John chapter 12, 27 says, Now is my soul troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. John chapter 13 verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them to the end. And then John chapter 16 verse 32 says, Behold, the hour comes, yea, and is now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and he shall leave me alone. And He says, Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Amen. then I want you to look in John chapter 17, uh, verse 1. He says, Father, the hour is come. Now, what hour is He referring to here? He's talking about the cross. He's talking about His death and His resurrection. And uh, all of this prayer, as we look through chapter 17, every bit of this prayer needs to be read with respect uh, to the gruesome death and the glorious resurrection of Christ that is soon going to begin. He knows that the hour is come. And I would dare say that within that very particular hour, uh, he probably would, saw that arrest take place and, uh, and all the, that trial began uh, to happen that very night. And so he knew that that hour was come. He knew that, that the time had come for him uh, to be delivered into the hands of sinners and, and, of course, to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. Now, knowing that God's eternal plan was about to unfold in time, he prayed that God would glorify him. Uh, and I want us to read as we continue to see him through chapter uh, 17, verse 1. He says, Father, the hour has come. He says, glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. The word glorify means to attribute greatness to someone. All through his ministry, I want you to think about this. People had scoffed and mocked and despised Jesus, Uh, We know from John chapter 1 that he had come to his own people, but they received him not. He came as a light in the darkness, but they refused to comprehend it. They did not want anything to do with him. Jesus knew, though, that eternal life could only be granted to those who came to God through faith in himself. And so he prayed in verses 1 through 3. He says in verse 2, he says, as thou hast given him power over all flesh... That he should give eternal life uh, to as many as thou hast given him. And then verse 3 it says, And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You want eternal life? Where do you find eternal life? Is eternal life found in religion? Is eternal life found in a church? Is. Eternal life found in uh, good deeds and good works or good intentions? No, absolutely not. He says that eternal life is knowledge of the one and only true God and to Jesus Christ whom he sent. Salvation, eternal life is found in the truth of the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus gave a glimpse from there on, verses 4 and 5. He gives us a glimpse into his true identity. And we see that as we read in verse 4. He says, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. All right, now as far as Jesus was concerned, this was in the bank. He he had done everything. He had fulfilled everything. And he still had not yet gone to the cross. But he says this with so much conviction that it's as if... It's already taken place. He, he's made his resolve. He's made up his mind. He's going to carry out the work that God has brought him to do. Now, look in, in verse 5. It says, And now, O Father, glorify thou, thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Amen. The glory that I had with you before the world began. He says, I ask that you would give me that glory once again. In these verses, Jesus acknowledged both His physical life on earth and His eternal existence with the Father. John, in chapter 1 and verse 1, begins with this very same truth. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Now the Word is Jesus, in case you don't know that yet. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Now where is the beginning? That's before anything was. Before anything was created. When there was only a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in existence. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now Jesus says right here before His disciples in a prayer to His Father. He says, I pray that you would give me the glory that belongs to you. The glory that I had. Before the world existed. Mm -hmm. If you remember there was once a discussion. We actually read about it in the book of John. Between Jesus and Jews concerning Abraham. And Jesus made a statement that confused everybody. He did that quite a bit. But he made a a statement. He said uh, Abraham rejoiced to see me in his day. And they said, You're not even forty years old yet. How have you seen Abraham? And his answer to them was, Before Abraham was I am. Amen. Yes, in his physical body he had only existed on earth up to thirty-three years, but In His eternal Godhead, He existed long before Abraham uh, ever existed. In fact, He was the very one who stood and spoke with Abraham when it talks about the Lord appearing and speaking with Abraham back in the book of Genesis. You want to know who that was? It was the person of Jesus Christ. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus prayed here that He would be bestowed with the same glory that He had in the beginning. The second thing that we find here is not only a prayer for His glory, but a prayer for their protection in verses 6 through 19. Now before we get to our verses here, I want to clarify something before we go any further. Because many want to make these verses apply to all believers or apply to only the elect. And while there are some principles that may apply to any believer that we're going to find in verses 6 through 19... I want you to understand that in this portion of the prayer, he is talking about the twelve apostles. He's not talking about those who will be saved. He's not talking about some. He's not talking about the elect. When he makes statements like the men which you gave me, or he says they, them, or the ones here in these verses, these these six through nineteen, it is in reference to the apostles. And so when we understand this, it helps to clear up a lot of nonsense because this isn't a prayer for the chosen. It's not a prayer for the predestined. It's not a prayer for the elect. It's not even a prayer for you. He'll get to us later. But this is a prayer for the men that God had prepared and given him to be apostles. I want us to approach these verses with that understanding. With this in mind, Jesus prayed a threefold prayer for his apostles, or sometimes we call them his disciples. And I want you to see, first of all, that he commends them in verses six through eight. Now, in verse six, he says, I have manifested thy name. Unto the men which you gave me out of the world. Now what men did did he give them out of the world? He gave them the twelve, right? That's who was with him as he was praying there that day. He says, Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of you. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Now, this is almost verbatim what he's just said to his apostles in the previous chapters. He said he makes all these statements that they knew that he was from God, they believed in God, they loved the Father, and the Father loved them. He's been talking to his apostles. And he makes this statement here in his prayer to God that they understood that they loved uh, the Lord and, and, of course, they knew Him. And so he commends them for their faithfulness and the fact that they stuck with Him all this time. Now, the next thing we see is that he prays for their protection in verses 9 through 16. And he prayed that they would be protected from three things. First of all, he prayed for protection from division in verses 9 through 11. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which you have given me, for they are thine, and all mine are are thine, or all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now look at verse 11, and now I am uh, no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep them through thy own name, uh, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. I want you to see that he prayed. That there would be no division among them. He prayed that they would be one, just as He and the Father were one. He prays uh, for protection against destruction for those disciples as well. Verse 12 and 13, He says, "...while I was with them in the world, I kept them in Thy name. Those that Thou gave Me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition," talking about Judas, "...that the Scripture might be fulfilled." And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So you start to see how he's talking about those disciples that were with him. And then we see protection from the devil in verses 14 through 16. He says, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He says, I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil, and uh, this could even be translated, or maybe even better translated as, that you should keep them from the evil one. Now, who is the evil one? Satan. So he knows that Satan is coming for them. He knows that that attack is about to be launched. So he, he prays, that not that God would take them out of the world, but that he would protect them from the evil one. He says in verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am. And not of the world. And then we see that he prayed not only for their, uh, not only did he commend them and pray for their protection, but he prays for their sanctification in verses 17 through 19. He says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. By the way, does anyone know the definition of the word apostle? Apostle means sent out means one sent out. And so he says, as you have sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. Now, let's move on. We we talked about this and I, I think this will help clarify it as well. He not only prays for their protection, but now it moves to that prayer for us. He prays for our unity verses 20 through 26. Now we see in verse 20 that Jesus then turned his focus towards us. Now look at this. Because he makes a distinction. He says, neither do I pray for these alone. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Do you see now How we make that distinction in verses 6 through 19 to be uh, him referring or praying for the apostles. But now he prays for everyone who will believe on his name through their report, through their witness and their testimony. Anyone who hears the gospel today, if you're saved today, you have heard the gospel. You've heard the gospel message. If you have heard the gospel, you are hearing it as a result of the message and ministry of the apostles. That includes you and me. Every one of us, everyone who has believed in Christ has heard it, has heard that gospel, and has believed as a result of the apostles' writing and the apostles' Ministry. Now, this part of the prayer is for all who will believe in Christ through the spread of the gospel. How humbling it is to know that we were on the heart and in the prayers of Jesus. Yeah. Now listen, I want, to, I want you to target in on this. Verses 20 through 26, the rest of this chapter, these verses are a prayer from Jesus for you and for me. Jesus is praying for all those who would come to believe in his name. There's an old old song, and I know that some of you have heard this, but an old song that says, uh, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And I believe that because before he went to the cross, I was in his prayers. And so were you. I was thinking this past week, if Jesus took the time to pray for us, if he devoted what we now call six verses uh, in prayer for us, then it might be important to find out what it was that he said, right? What did he pray for concerning you and me? What was so heavy on Jesus' heart towards us or for us on that night? And so I looked. Now listen, Jesus could have prayed for anything. He could have prayed for our protection like he did for the apostles. He could have prayed for our guidance. He could have prayed for our strength. He could have prayed for boldness. He could have prayed for faith. Anything he could have prayed for. But do you know what was so heavy on the heart of Jesus that he stopped right there and dedicated uh, several lines in prayer for us? Do you know what was so heavy on his heart for you and for me? It was our unity. That's what he prayed for. He prayed that we would be unified. And it's found all through the rest of these verses. Verses 21 through 26. And we're going to read this as we go along. But look at verse 21. He says that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they may also be one in us. That the world may believe That Thou hast sent me. When Jesus looked in His heart through all the ages to those who would trust Him as Savior, His prayer for us, His prayer for you and me is that we would be one, that we would be unified. Listen, this is a truth that Jesus stated Himself that if a house is divided against itself... It cannot stand. If a church is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If a family is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If a state or a nation is divided against itself, it cannot stand. We are looking at the destruction of the United States of America right now. It's through division. The devil knows what he's doing. And he's an expert at it. And we're being played like puppets. This unity will tear down relationships. It'll tear down families, nations. It'll tear down churches. Now understand this. When I say unity, there's a difference between unity and uniformity. Because the thing is, is that we're not all alike. I'm not saying that for us to be unified, we all have to have the same opinions. We all have to dress the same way. We all have to say the same words and and do the same things. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's uniformity. We're not all alike. We don't all think alike. Our personalities are not alike. Our opinions are not alike. Unity does not have to be uniformity. Unity happens when people who are unalike are able to be bonded together by a common purpose or relationship. Amen. Amen. We're different. Right. We were made different on purpose. Right. You are uniquely designed by God to be the way that you are. Right. And in the church, we need that diversity. We need people who, have, who think different. We need people who act different. We need people, some who are bold and some who are meek and some who are just good peacemakers. We need all of those. And so we're not talking about us all being the same and doing the same and all agreeing all the time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about being unified over a common purpose or relationship. When I look around the crowd today, I see a diversity in age, in ethnicity, in economy, and so on. But there's a common thread that binds us together. You know what that is? It's our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 22 and 23. He says, In the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one. Look at this. Even as we are one. In the verse ahead, he says that, that they may be one in us. Verse 23, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as you have loved me. Yes, let me tell you this morning that we're going to have our differences, but you see where our differences separate us. Love fills that gap. Amen. Love covers covers a multitude of sin. Amen. And none of us are perfect. None of us are right all the time. And there will be disagreements. But when that comes in, love has to overcast. It has to overtake whatever differences may exist. Now let me ask you this question. What happens when we are unified in Christ? I want you to look at verse 23 again. He says, "I and them, thou and me, that they may be perfected in one, and that the look at this, that the world may know that you have sent me and has loved them as you have loved me." What happens when we're unified? We impact the world. You know, Jesus made a couple of statements here in the Book of John. One not too long ago, he said, "By this shall all men know that you." are my disciples. All men will know you're my disciples when you have love for one another. He says here, I pray that they will be unified. By the way, how does a church, how does anyone remain unified? Through love, right? He says, I pray that they will be one. I pray that they will be unified. And what happens when they get unified? The world will know that you have sent me. And that you have loved them as you loved me. What happens when the church gets unified? The world gets evangelized. Our message gets power. The gospel is presented and it's heard and it's believed because they're not just hearing the words that we say, but they're seeing the gospel being played out in our own lives. Listen, I want to say this. Our nation is in turmoil right now. Tempers are flaring, situations are escalating, and divisions are being enlarged unnecessarily. And I refuse to lay blame on one place or another unless we're going to blame the devil. Amen, amen. I will say, though, that we have got to start being part of the solution and not part of the problem. I made a statement earlier this week on social media. That the answer to our problems or the problems in our nation that we're facing is found nowhere but in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was questioned about that statement, but I stand firm upon it. The problem is not what we think it is in this country. We want to point fingers. We want to put labels. We, We want to say this is the problem and we can fix this. Then all our problems will be solved. But we are trying to kill the fruit of the problem without attacking the root of the problem. The problem in our nation, please hear me this morning, the problem in our nation is not liberalism. The problem in our nation is not radicalism. It's not racism. The problem in our nation is a spiritual problem. The problem in our nation is sin. And when I read my Bible, there is only one solution to sin, and that is Jesus Christ. And listen, that is not a generic answer. You may say, well, that that is generic. Of course you're going to say that. How is Jesus the answer to our problems? Well, I want to tell you something. Our nation is full of people who are pointing to Washington and saying that Donald Trump is the answer for America. Or saying that Hillary Clinton is the answer for America. Or that Bernie Sanders is the answer for America. I'm going to tell you, it is a person, but it's Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. He is the only hope that we have Amen. for this nation. Amen. Right. And I want to tell you what Jesus did. Jesus strategically placed churches throughout every community, and we still got to reach some of them. There's some that that may not have it, but throughout this nation, communities have churches that have been strategically placed there to be a gospel influence in those cities and in those communities. Those people, we're one of those. Now the answer is in Christ. But Christ is going to have to work through us. And I believe with all my heart that there can still be victory here in America. I believe with all my heart that God can still do amazing things, that revival can happen, that relationships and bridges can be built once again. But I'll say this, like many other things in God's Word, we cannot do it without Him. And He will not do it without us. You want change in America? You want things to get better? Then Christians, listen to what I'm saying. We have to start building those bridges back. We've got to be the adults. We've got to be grown up. We have to be mature. And Jesus even talks about that they may be perfected. You know what that word means? It means brought to completion. Maturity. And I've seen a lot of immature things being said and done on social media and and just around town by people who are Christians. We've got to stop that. All week, my heart has been burdened with this question. Where is our part in this? By the way, I've also been told that churches have no no place in what's going on in our nation right now. I'm going to tell you that if we don't get on board, if we don't get busy doing so about what's going on right now. There is no other solution. How do we help? And listen, I'm not saying that I have the answers to that, but I want to at least challenge you with three things this morning. Three ways that you can actively start being a part of the solution in our nation right now. And I I think the first thing has got to be this. We have to stop allowing our thoughts and emotions to be controlled by media. You are not sheep. You are not puppets. And every time you go on the same tangent that they're putting you on, that's exactly what you're allowing yourself to be. We've got to stop letting the media and social media control our emotions and our thoughts. Listen, I want to tell you, if you haven't been paying attention, the wind changes every month or so. Does anybody remember that last month there was a shooting where hundred people were seriously injured in this city? But is that on anybody's lips right now? No, I want to tell you something. In a month, this won't be either. Over the last year or so, I have seen situation after situation fight after fight. Nobody cares about the Confederate flag anymore. And that's all we can talk about for a month or two. Nobody's talking about what's going on in in, in California anymore or what's going on. I hadn't heard anybody talk about ISIS in a long time. We're allowing the media to control it. Listen, I don't want to get political and I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist. I'm telling you, you've got a brain and you need to think with You've got eyes, you need to open them up. Look at what's going on. Stop being a part, stop being inflammatory with this and and, and throwing gas on fire that's already been lit. That's not our place as Christians to be a part of that. Now what I'm going to say will not make sense to everybody, but I hope it makes sense to you. We need to find out the truth about the situation. You say, what situation? Any situation. We need to find the truth of the situation. And that's what we need to anchor ourselves to. And where do you find the truth? I think we find out in God's Word. Do you think God's Word has solutions to what's going on in our nation right now? Absolutely. We need to find out what that truth is. And stop letting ourselves be thrown around and tossed around every time that the news changes. We need to anchor ourselves to truth. We need to be grown ups. The second thing I want to uh, encourage you to do is to prepare your heart to live and speak the gospel. Listen, more than ever, Christians, we need to be refraining from snappy judgments, from abrasive comments and rebellious attitudes. The people in your workplace don't need to know how bad you are. They don't need to know how tough you are. The people on Facebook don't need to know how bad and how tough you are. They need to see the love of Christ being demonstrated through your speech and through your actions and through your posts. Our nation, our communities need leaders. And I want you to understand this morning, that is exactly why you are here. You are here at an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And so yes, some terrible things are going on in the United States right now. But before you are an American, you're a Christian. And you're here for a reason. You're here to be leaders among men and women. When you're at work, and these discussions are going on. They don't need you to chime in and, and you know talk about your political agenda or what you think is to happen or what your opinion is. They need the love and grace of God. That may be hard to do. But we have to do it. They need us to be more mature than they are. They need us to be more sound minded than they are. They need us to speak wisdom and love into the situations that are at hand. Not more hatred, not more struggle. We're, we're to be peacemakers. Amen. And I'm not talking about being pacifists, I'm talking about making peace, building those bridges. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Our community needs to be led with love, with compassion, with patience, with wisdom and righteousness. So I really have to ask you just one question then. Is that what you've been displaying? Is that what our community is seeing in your response? And then I I want to encourage you to do one more thing. And listen, I'm not even talking about over the last week or so. I'm just talking about over the last year or so. You know, I hear I hear a lot, of, we, we brag quite a bit about, you know, if somebody attacked the U.S., I would do this and I would do that. If somebody attacked me, I would do this, I would do that. I want you to know, the U.S. is under attack. We're under attack right now. And you do not have a physical weapon that can fight against it. Right. You want to fight for the U.S. You want to fight for what's going on. You want to fight for our nation, our communities. You're going to have to use some spiritual weapons. And so I want to encourage you. Do whatever you want to do with your bullets. Not, not whatever you want to do with your bullets. <laughs> <laughs> Store them. Do whatever. But I'm going to tell you, we need to start sending some rapid fire prayer for our nation we need to get serious about prayer we need to get serious about praying now there's been a lot of complaining about what's been going on over the last month year whatever a lot of complaining has been going on how much praying has been going on by God's people how many times have you prayed for what's going on right now in our nation over the last few days we need to pray We need to mourn. We need to shed tears. We need to pour our hearts out to God and beg for His mercy and beg for His leadership and beg that He will use us to be a part of the solution in our nation. Listen, our nation will never be unified and churches begin effectively impacting our communities with the gospel. churches will never begin effectively impacting communities with the gospel until they become unified. I want us to continue reading verses 24-26. through He says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. He says, O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that you sent me. He says, I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. This morning, during our time of invitation, I want to encourage you. If there is a spiritual decision that you need to make today, make sure that that happens before you leave God's house today. But this morning, during our invitation, I'm going to pray. I'm going to be right here, and I'm going to pray for our church, and I'm going to pray for our nation. And if you want to join me in that, I invite you to do so. But we've got to get busy in prayer. We've got to start being part of that solution. I think it's going to start right here on our knees before God. I invite you to be a part of that. can or you can't. It's your choice. But I'm going to be here.